Hello, my name is Nick, and I'm here with my co-host James, and we're coming to you from Wildcat Photography Studios. Today we'll be discussing Jay Miller's new position, the Martinez ownership situation, the brand new Western League, and how Atlantic City FC affects baseball in America's playground. So grab a bat and step to the bag, box, because you're listening to the Indie Ball Report Podcast. back, everybody, to episode number three of the Indie Mail Report podcast. Number three. I know, we've made it to a third episode, and we'd like to go ahead and just thank everybody for their support so far. We'd also like to go ahead and thank Sussex for everything they've done so far for us, liking and retweeting articles written by my gracious co-host here. Thank you very much, Sussex. Who does have another article up on the website, which we will discuss in just a moment. Yep, we'll get to it in a bit. But we do have a little bit of housekeeping to take care of before that, and one update that we want to cover. So, YouTube version of the podcast that we promised last week, that went up a couple days ago, and is now available. Pretty good. It is. It looks great. It looks very good. Yep, we have a couple of custom graphics on that thing. Nothing too crazy, but overall, I think it was a solid effort there. Absolutely. And I just kind of want to get a, uh, a listener feedback on what you guys think of the, of the uh, video. And if you guys want to see this in the future, if you do, and it does get a lot of support, then I'll go ahead and continue to make these. If not, then I'm probably going to lean away from that and put other content on there, just because it took a decent bit of time to create, it took a lot of time to render, and then uploading and all that usual jazz. Yeah, so definitely, uh, you know, hit us up on Twitter or Instagram now. We have an Instagram at IndieBowl Report. Uh, so hit Great us up. Plug. Yeah, Great plug. Hit us up there uh, and, and just let us know. Um, you know, what do you think about that? Do you like the YouTube videos? Would you rather uh, just listen to the podcast on Podomatic or Spotify or iTunes or any of the other uh, places we are at? Which, speaking of other places we're at, we are now on TuneIn, we are now on Stitcher, we are now on iHeartMedia, we are also on several others that I don't happen to have on hand, but just about anywhere you can find a podcast, we're there, with the one exception being Google Podcasts. That one we are still working on, as we've been for the past month, but we're going to get it there. We'll get it up. We'll work it. And it's going to be good. So you guys got to trust us there. So, last real bit of housekeeping before we start jumping into actual content. Polls. So we have polls up on our website. We haven't really gotten a huge response from it. About maybe four votes per poll that we put up there. We'd like to go ahead and get more responses, more information from those polls. On Twitter, we'd like to know, would you prefer... To have Twitter polls or just on the website polls, which reminds me, we also have a new web address. We no longer have the long, complicated sites.google name. If you simply type in www.indieballreport.com, you will be brought to our website. It is very important, though, that you use the www.infrontofindieball.com. Otherwise, you will not be brought to the website. It needs to have the W's. Otherwise, it will not work. You need the W's. Remember that. The W's are important. They are critical. So, that being said, we'd just like to know about the polls. You could do it on the website, www.indiepollreport.com, or we could go Twitter polls. Whichever you prefer, we just want to get more fan interaction, more fan engagement, because we want to know what you're thinking and why some of your takes. And also, we would like to know what you want to hear. Uh, what do you want us to talk about? What do you want us to discuss? Definitely reach out to us on any of those those platforms, and we'd be happy to do it. Yep, especially at this time of year, it's starting to dry up. We're in that weird, awkward period where 
we're starting to run out of real substance to talk about, but we can't really start talking about players and teams and stuff yet. The team's just really unassembled yet. There's no real spring training to report on. We're still like a month away for a lot of that stuff. Anything you guys want us to talk about, go ahead. Just we ask a topic or an article, and we can definitely discuss that. And now, the one update we're going to get to, then we're going to talk about the article, because the article is a beautiful segue into our first topic today. So, update we have is from our first story last week, the Joplin Miners Stadium Crisis. It appears that Joplin is no longer in Joplin, in the sense of their lease agreement with Joe Becker Stadium was terminated. It was done by a 9-0 vote by the city council. Yep. And there will be no additional charges to the city of Joplin. However, do not fear, because according to Sam Anselm, the city manager that we discussed last time, he is open to new proposals for professional ball in Joplin, and he is even willing to take offers from the group that dropped out that was led by Mark Schuster. So, you know, the thing is, we, we, we hammered at Mark a little bit last week. Um, not too hard, but, you know, we, we did give him some pushback. Obviously, there was a little back and forth behind the scenes that we knew about, um, but it was, it was a lack of transparency on, on the part of the league uh, that led to uh, us being so critical of Mark. So I think it's important to point out that while, you know, there was a lot of back and forth uh, communication between the league and the team and the city, um, there was also still a lot of problems that went on and a lack of communication. And so, you know, we, we, we want to be critical of Mark, but we're also still hopeful that of, for baseball in Joplin, and, uh, you know, and we think moving forward that uh, we're optimistic. Yep, of course. I, mean, I just want to make sure it's clear. We're not jogging on Mark because we want him to fail. We want him to succeed because we want baseball in Joplin. We Absolutely. want more baseball. That's what our goal is here, and we want to make more people aware of the independent leagues, and by having a team in a major city like Joplin, and a great market like Joplin, it definitely helps that goal. But the lack of transparency and the lack of communication is a problem. It was a problem. More things were brought to light in this article that made us feel a lot better. And you can definitely read the article that is linked in the show notes that we got all our information from. It is from the Joplin Globe. And, you know, it really does make it seem as though there is a lot of hope for that. And I could see why Mark was hopeful. However, once again, the transparency does not really create good word of mouth, which is what we need to survive in this business. Yep, this is just a lack of transparency issue. And I think as uh, Joplin goes along and they'll get either another team or perhaps the miners will still um, be in there. We'll see what happens. Um, we'll keep everyone updated in, in the Joplin area um, as well as anywhere uh, on, on ideas of the Joplin miners situation. And just to put a bow quickly on Joplin, Sam Anselm, the city manager, did say that he expects to get a proposal from the Southwest League at a later date that's kind of open-ended, but like everything in that league, it is open-ended. So, after tying a knot on that, let's go ahead and discuss the article that was written this week by my voracious co-host. So this week I wrote an article uh, about independent league baseball, and particularly about um, the the idea of the Atlantic League and the Can-Am League and the stability of both leagues. Um, so I picked out four cornerstone franchises, New Jersey Jackals, the Sussex County Miners, the Somerset Patriots, and the Sugarland Skeeters. And what I did was I highlighted things that I felt made them the best teams in the league that were able to really draw in terms of what I felt was the most stable team. So these teams that produced stable, that were stable on the field, and also uh, uh, community engagement as well. Yep, that's definitely a very good, all-encompassing piece. It really gives you a good perspective of what success looks like in independent league ball, because a lot of times people don't really understand what success looks like at this level. 
you compare success to that of like the Yankees or a team of that stature where, you know, it's drawing in dozens of fans and hundreds of thousands of fans really every night and just making massive profit lines. But in independent league ball, it's more about being a, uh, a member of the community. Right, a member of the community and, and you know, I, I highlighted different things like ballparks and also uh, the great structures in terms of some of the things that these teams do really well. For the Skeeters, I highlighted uh, some ideas in terms of their ability to draw stars and big names like Roger Clemens and Tracy McGrady. And so it's a piece that kind of encompasses my feelings on some of these great teams, but also without leaving out uh, some of the Canadian teams, they'll be touched upon next week for the Can-Am League, and other teams like Long Island in the Atlantic League will bring them up as well, uh, just for different pieces on a different day. Of course. I mean, if you're not named in a piece, that doesn't mean that you're thought of lesser. It just means you didn't fit the piece for that particular day. Yep, and, and, and obviously these, these teams are the most I'm comfortable with. I'm comfortable speaking upon right now, um, and then as we go on uh, and I get more information, we'll uh, expand on that. All right, so with that, and talking about Sugarland in this piece, it seems like a beautiful segue to Jay Miller, who was the former president and GM of the Sugarland Skaters. He finally has a new landing spot after resigning that position. A new home. Yep, so just the background of the situation before we dive into it. He was the president and GM of Sugarland from December of 2015 to December of 2018. On the 18th of that month, he did resign his position. And with him departed 35 years of baseball experience, uh, 12 of them with the Texas Rangers of Major League Baseball. Uh, during his reign as president of Sugarland, he won two league championships and rose the attendance significantly to the point where they did set Gert for attendance in one game. So very impressive for Jay. Does a terrific job. And really is a true baseball guy through and through. Yeah, obviously Jay is a baseball guy, baseball guy. He he knows a lot about the game. He understands obviously the marketing aspect behind it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really an independent baseball aficionado, and now going into a, a minor league baseball aficionado overall, uh, going with an affiliated team. Yep. Um, We're not to spoil the lead here, but he is now with the AAA Wichita team that is moving from New Orleans. So he will be doing that. He will resume the same position. So he will be the president of that team. So moving forward, I think that uh, as as they looked for uh, someone to replace him, I think it was really good that they found someone from the inside, and we'll talk about that in one moment. Um, they found someone from the inside of the league, uh, of the inside of the team, uh, to really think about how uh, the team was structured beforehand and being tutored by Jay, and how that really helped uh, move this person up the ladder. And the mentor of Jay is Tyler Stamp. He was a sales associate with the team for a couple of years, then was moved to director of sales, and then was the assistant GM for Jay for his last two years in Sugarland, so 2017, 2018, and now he is the interim GM. So that's important to note, he has not been named the GM, he is just kind of the stopgap for now, and I assume the offseason is going to kind of be his audition tape, you know? Yeah, I think the, uh, the, the offseason will be his audition tape, if not the whole season, um, depending yeah. on how, what the I imagine, I imagine you got to give him that time, you know. Certainly, I, you know, I, I would imagine him get a full season. And like I said, I think that it'll be a really good thing from coming within uh, the organization itself. I think this is going to be a really good choice. Obviously, being mentored by Jay 
Um, he'll do things, I hope, in the same way. Uh, for the Skeeter's sake, I hope in the same way. So they can either repeat as champions or continue their success. Because I think, you know, we were talking about this off the air, that either they're going to go in one direction or they're going to go in the other. They're either going to be absolutely as good as they've ever been or they're going to be, you know, back where they were when they first started. Oh, yeah, no, see, that's the thing, especially with a team that's going on to its 10th year now with Sugarland. I know they didn't really start playing to 2012, but 2010 they were founded. They, it's important to go ahead and continue to build on Jay's success, and I think Tyler is certainly able to do that. My concern does come from him not having much experience in front office operations, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's not very good at it. You need a place to start, and having those two years where you're just kind of being the guy that's sitting there, he's watching, he's doing things, obviously, but he's not getting the final say on it, I think it's a very good kind of internship uh, role there that he held. Yeah, but we're going to need to take a, a wait-and-see approach on it. I think at some point he'll either become, uh, again, the, the heir apparent to Jay, or they'll move on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way it's going to work. Yep, exactly. So that's going to be a situation to watch. I would expect to see some success this year. Maybe not a league championship again, but certainly success again in a postseason run from Sugarland. Town's still there. Moving on now, we go to the Martinez ownership situation. So... Let's go ahead and just kind of give you the background on Martinez. They were founded in 2018. They played their first season this past year. Did okay. They did serviceably. And long and short is they play in the Pac Pro League, which is the Pacific Association of Professional Baseball. We will be referring to that as Pac Pro because we're lazy. Exactly, and just it sounds better. It sounds more fun. Pac Pro. And so that being said, they draw fairly well middle of the pack. They are owned by Jeff Karpov. He is the CEO of DC Solar. Jeff Karpov has some legal troubles. Got some problems. Because at the same time, Jay was submitting his letter of resignation from the Sugarland Skeeters organization. Jeff was being awoken. And two FBI agents coming through his front door as he was being raided due to tax issues. Yeah, poor Jeff. They busted down his door and they, uh, they raided his house. And... His troubles don't end there, as there was another raid at one of the DC Solar facilities, and DC Solar, in the past few days, has declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Oh, not fun for those at home, don't uh, try at home. Yeah, no, pay your taxes, kids, that's important. This is kind of a shocking move here, because DC Solar was involved in support. Uh, not only did Karpov own this team, his uh, company's DC Solar was involved with NASCAR, they had a full-branded car, like, I'm talking hood ad, big ad. So, you would assume that a, uh, well, a company that has the kind of money to do that, they could pay their taxes, but clearly not. Yeah, apparently not. So this presents an interesting situation for Pac Pro. As now, one of your fairly healthy teams in the league that, you know, it, it doesn't draw terribly well. It stays afloat, but I mean, you look at where they are. It limits you. Right. They're certainly a limited league in terms of attendance. They're not anywhere near the stratosphere of the Atlantic League uh, or the American Association. Yep, certainly not there. And more so than that, Karpov has remained firm on that his intention is to own the Clippers. Now, this does create an issue, or whether or not he'll be able to keep ownership is still kind of up in the air. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, ownership is one of those things that is a privilege uh, more than it is a right. And, and he's worked, you know, he got all his money, and, and he, he owns one of these teams, but, you know, he wants to keep owning it, but it's just going to hurt the league. I think, you know, if he stays in as owner, the, it, it depends on how the community feels, and of course, we don't want to be 
you know, too hasty in terms of legal outcomes. Um, but he could be in legal trouble. He's definitely in financial trouble with this company. Uh, declaring Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So I think it's important to underscore the fact that this might be not the greatest thing for, uh, for him. Yep, so that brings us to an interesting point. When a CEO fight master, the well, the commissioner of bankrupt, he's optimistic the corporates are going to play this year, which... Mm, same, as, same as Mark is optimistic that Joplin is going to be. <laughs> yeah, I put it on the same level there. He's saying that they're going to be able to field the team. It may be a bit later than usual, but that shouldn't affect them that much, meaning that tryouts aren't until the end of April, 20th and 21st, and spring training isn't until another month right, after yeah. that. But the thing I have a question for with Theo here is, Martinez is getting their lease reviewed on Field 3, which is a municipal field in Martinez. What's the plan if that lease gets terminated? Right, I mean, yeah, what, what happens there? Do we go to the five teams? Do we... You know, go with a road warrior type team. What, what happens? That's a good question. Which is a funny thing you mentioned that. Because he said, if they are not able to take the field, which he doesn't expect, but if that is the case, there are only two real options. Fielding a traveling team similar to the road warriors or like a New York Federals for Can-Am League fans. Right. Or having more rest days to the schedule, some more time in between games. Now, it was, now it's my assumption that you wouldn't interrupt the three-game series. So it would still be play three, but instead of going play three, then another three-game series, it would be play three, day or two off, play three, day or two off. A similar situation to that. I don't like that idea. Nope. Simply because of the the sense of you want to have consistency. You want to have long stretches of games because it's easier to market, it's easier to advertise. And in a league that is fairly young and doesn't really have like the kind of built-up ingrained fan base, and clearly is already not doing great attendance-wise. I think that's right, just yeah. facility issues. You can't really afford to have days in between games. Indie ball is kind of like a the mood strikes you type thing. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, if you think about going to buy indie ball tickets, oftentimes it's spur of the moment, uh, especially for the casual fan. Um, it's more of a spur of the moment kind of thing that uh, you know. I, oh, you know, here, uh, you know. Three months in advance thinking about going for a game. Exactly. It's something that we mentioned last week. It's not really the kind of thing that's uh, planned in advance unless, you know, it's like a birthday party or a group outing or something like that. Really, the only days that I think really are planned for this, like the 11.30 start time games. Yeah, I think, I think, I think going to the five, uh, five teams is the best option for the league at this point for the pack pro. If, of course, Martinez is unable to field the team. Although, again, I, I am optimistic that there's a chance, but uh, is, is, that's probably very, uh, I put know, that at doubtful. Yeah, no, very yeah. doubtful. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that five team strategy. I think it's better to go to five. Uh, I may mess with your division structure, although I don't think with six you would even have divisions. Right, it's probably just, yeah, straight just through. straight through. So I don't really think that going to five is really that big of a deal. Obviously, it doesn't signal good health of the league sign, but when you have an owner that's declaring bankruptcy, basically, and his company's declared bankruptcy, it doesn't really bode well for him keeping this team. Right. And if you want to continue to grow this team to what I would assume be the premier indie ball team of California, then you would want to go ahead and make sure everybody in that league is healthy. And so to keep kind of, and I don't really mean this in a derogatory way, but to keep like the diseased limb of the league hanging on there, it doesn't really signal good health. Right, yeah, it doesn't signal good health just because, like we said, with all the troubles that Jeff has um, and the team has as a result of Jeff's financial and legal troubles, uh, it's probably for the best just to move forward. Exactly, uh, and how much time he's going to be able to spend on this team. Yeah, really. So moving right along, uh, we're going to move into the Western League. 
So we're going west. Uh, the Western League is a, a comparable league to the uh, Pecos League. So it's a little bit lower tier independent league baseball. Um, they begin playing on February 7th, so they're obviously a winter-spring league. Um, they have four teams, uh, and they, they play for one month, uh, so 12 to 15 games. Uh, so the four teams are the Bakersfield Blues, the Hollywood Stars, the Great Ben Boo, and the Selena Stockade. Now, for you independent league baseball fans, you may remember the Selena Stockade from the Pecos League. We do believe that it is the same franchise, however, we're not positive yet. Yep, same thing for, I guess Hollywood was part of them too, I'm not sure about the other two. Right, yeah, I'm not sure about the other two, but I certainly know that these teams are familiar with Pecos League. Uh, teams, they may just be playing in there as a warm-up. Uh, we're not entirely sure. On, we'll get a clarification on that at some point. Um, so it's 50 bucks a, a week. For payment. They're paid 50 a week, which is the standard in the Pecos League. There. So they'll make 200 this month. That's kind of below the going rate. Um, yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously uh, not what you want. Yeah, no, so that's not great. I believe you break down the hours spend is like $2 an hour if their hourly rate. So that's not great. No, not not great. Um, all the games are going to be played in Sam Lynn Ballpark in uh, Bakersfield. So I guess the Blues are getting a lot of home games. Yeah, a lot of home games. You know, the the thing about these leagues is they're difficult to kind of predict what what they're going to be. Sometimes they're really really positive things, and sometimes they can go negative, like like the Pecos League in recent years has had its, its struggles and its bad PR at least. Oh yeah, no, no. Andy Ball Island Pub published an article about them and. It's scathing to say the least, but it does open your eyes. I know there's also, a, I think it was a Fox Sports 1 documentary series about one of the indie ball teams in that league. It was kind of eye-opening there. But back on topic of the Western League, it really does seem like it's a winter Pecos League mixed with the same stadium situation of the United Shore League. Yeah, absolutely. Which plays up in Michigan. Uh, I kind of call it the Jimmy Johns League because that's the guy that owns the naming rights to that one ballpark that the four teams play in. If you're taking those two strategies, I'm not sure how much I like that idea. Uh, just because the Pecos League, as we said, has its issues. It's not well, that great. I mean, everything about it seems cheap to me. Right, yeah. A lot of things in the Pecos League are underdone. We do, we, you know, we're optimistic about you know, where the Western League might go, but we're not sure yet. And, uh, you know, if it goes the way of the Pecos League, then there could, again, be some challenges for players. I mean, I think player safety and health should be paramount in these leagues especially in any league, in independent league baseball. Um, and it doesn't seem like it is in the Pecos League. So you know, hopefully the Western League will be better. Yeah. Which, while I don't necessarily like the Western League itself, I think it's kind of a slapdash way to put things together, especially because who heard about this? Uh, the only reason I found it was because I looked it up online. It was like independent ball news, and it popped up. The only reason I know about that, and that's because I'm, you know, I do the show. Right. <laughs> who else knew about this? Like, who else knew? Right. Like, this is not very well produced. But the idea they have is a good idea. Independent ball in the winter, I think, is something that could work, especially in a lot of warmer climates like that, in, like the southwest, southeast United States. I think that's an idea. Yeah, absolutely. The southwest, southeast United States, that could be really great. Um, especially in, like, California and, and those states. Too. Oh, yeah, definitely. California, Florida. Texas. Uh, Arizona even. Yeah. Like, I definitely think there's a, there's a market for that. I just don't really like the way this one's being done. I mean... At the time we're going ahead and recording this, like we said, it began play last week, and there's only right. been about eight games played, and like three of them have been rained out or something like that. It just seems really slapdash. That's the best way to describe it, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's a slapdash league put together, but we'll give it the benefit of the doubt. For of course, now. you want it to succeed. And of course, you know. we want to succeed and, and keep any ball going. But we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll, at, at the end of at the end of their season, we'll see if we can't find interviews or articles about it, and uh, you know, try to understand a little bit more about the league. And maybe it's more nuanced than we're giving it credit. Yep. At the very least, it's an opportunity for a lot of these guys to get more film out there and possibly make it to another team. Yeah. And because this league ends on March third. They'll still have a month to recover from this league before a lot of those trials that we started that we did touch on in episode one. So go back and listen to that if you want all the trial updates and everything. Yep. yep. Most of those do come, though, in March and April. So I think right there is a great place to go ahead and take a quick intermission here with a seventh inning stretch. And so for today, there's a couple things we want to touch on quickly. First off. AAF football did not disappoint. Nope, not at all. The quality of football was surprisingly well. Very good, yeah. And I gotta say, I may be biased here because I'm a Birmingham Iron fan, but <laughs> Luis Perez was making throws that looked like NFL throws. He was, there's no doubt. He absolutely was. Trent Richardson looked absolutely fantastic as well. Yeah, Trent had a slow start, but he got going in the second half there. I really like that. A couple of touchdowns, yeah. yeah. It just seems like a fun league to watch. And if you haven't watched it, I would really highly recommend it. By the time this is going up, it should be a game starting in about an hour. I believe it's Birmingham versus Salt Lake. That's on TNT at 2 o'clock on Saturday. So you should definitely check that out. There's another one at night on NFL Network, both Saturday and Sunday. The game of the week, though, to watch, Orlando versus San Antonio. Two teams, very good. Orlando, coached by Steve Spurrier. High-powered offense, entertaining to watch. Yep. Commanders, they are coached by Mike Riley, former... Nebraska head coach. Yep. He's got a mixture of a good offense with some good defense. His team was the one that knocked the helmet off of Mike Baranucci. <laughs> you probably saw that clip online. That's another thing I really like about this league. They let the defense play. They let the defense play, but they let the offense play too. You, there's no offensive PI. There's not a lot of defensive PI. There's just players playing football, and it's great to see. Really. Exactly. That's the thing I like. I don't want to go ahead and every time there's a catch or there's a run or there's a hit going Looking up. back to the flag. Exactly. It's like, where's the flag? And then, like, when you see a big hit and you're like, oh, that's going to be a flag, and there's nothing, and people just go to the line. Best feeling ever. Ball. It's like, oh, wow, we're playing football now. Yeah, especially for, for someone like me who's played football. The, the worst thing in the world is to get a 15-yard run, you know, that gives you a first down, and then all of a sudden, uh, playing, holding, holding it's okay. coming back. Oh, it's the worst. And so, you know, it's really great to see the, a league that is actually dedicated to playing football the way it's supposed to be played. That, no, so another thing that I like that I think you're going to see in the NFL in the next few years is listening to the review judge yeah, make that. that call. It is so great. Like, the one call in Orlando, you go ahead, you hear the back and forth going, I, no, I think this is not going to be a catch. I think the ruling is going to stand here. The ball, the ground helped him make the catch. And then they go back and they're like, oh, no, wait, no, wait. His elbow was down, knee was down. No, that's, we're going to overturn this. It's going to be a touchdown. Right. Or like in the Birmingham game where... You hear all the refs on the field going, oh, look, I think we got this one wrong here. We don't think it was a catch now. Like, everyone on the field is thinking that. And then you hear the replay judge going, okay, but I don't really see any sort of an angle here, so it's going to have to stand, and it's nothing definitive here. Right, yeah, I mean, that's good. And that's the explanation that the NFL, I think, needs to give and needs to get around to so that people can understand the thinking and the thought presence behind it. Transparency is key. Like you were saying yeah. early on, like when we were discussing Joplin, if you're transparent, People will like it. People want the transparency. I want to see what's happening. I want to know why that decision was made. I don't want to just be yelling into the void, you know? Right, absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, is that 
you know, if, if you had that more, a little bit more transparency, maybe calls like uh, we saw against the Saints and even stuff in the Super Bowl would have been a little bit more ironed out and you would have had a lot more uh, people happier with the end of the NFL season. Of course. And so we definitely want to promote the AAF, which is basically independent league football. <laughs> independent league football, yeah. So definitely, definitely something we want to promote here. But the main topic of, well, at least my ire this week, <laughs> is not going to be you know, the Bob Costa story you may have saw with him being kicked off the Super Bowl because he was talking about how CT is a real thing and, you know, we don't want that on there. How dare he? How dare he want people to be aware of going ahead and running and ramming your hand to somebody else could cause brain injury. How dare he say that? But, Matt Kuchar. Now, <laughs> I guess. now, for those who don't know Matt Kuchar, let me give you a background. He's a professional golfer and he's 10th on the money list. So that means in his career, he's made $46 million dollars. Not including his endorsements. And if anybody knows golf, you'll know that they're like human NASCAR. They have ads <laughs> all over their shirt, on the back. Everything is ad. Matt Coach's best known sponsor is Skechers. He's a big Skechers guy. He does ads for him all the time. He wears the Skechers on the course. He's a Skechers guy. A Skechers man. So you know that he's getting good money from that endorsement. So Absolutely. I think it would be fair to say he's worth at least $50 million. Probably. From, I mean, that's not good. And that might be low-balling. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just go with 50 because I feel like that's a fair number. Right. So, back in November, Kuchar decides he wants to play a tournament in Mexico. Fair enough. Last-minute decision, still got in there. However, his usual caddy already had a planned engagement, so he couldn't go. So he just picks up one of the caddies that's at the club. And something that's important to note in professional golf, the common courtesy and the common standard is when you win the tournament or when you win any sort of money from a tournament, 10% is what you give right. your caddy. It's not necessarily a tip. It's what you pay them. Right. It's it's their, their earnings for, for their work. Exactly. Because they just spent the whole week doing all the same things you were doing. So Cooch goes ahead, he picks up a club caddy, and he goes on to win that tournament. Now, supposedly there was an agreement reached before the tournament, saying Cooch would pay him $1,000 for the week, it would be 2000 if he made the cut, 3000 for a top 25, 4000 for top 10. When Cooch won, he gave him 5000 Now, you would think, oh, well then I guess Cooch didn't really win much, or he was being a nice guy and gave him more than 10%. Not true. Wrong. Matt Kuchar won $1.3 million. Just shy of that. I think it was 1.296, so 1.3. That's crazy. And he decided to give the local caddy five grand. Oh, he stiffed him. Half a percent. He stiffed him. What the heck? Matt, really? Yeah, that's so bad. That, that, that's just a bad look for him. Half to... a percent. And the thing is, nothing he did there was illegal. No. They had not. a verbal contract. Now, moral or not, that's up to your interpretation. If the contract is all you have to live up to, then he's well the good, and, you know, he paid the dude more than he was making. He makes about $200 a day, this caddy, typically. So we gave him basically 500% what his normal weekly pay would be. It's just so cheap. It's just, from a PR standpoint, it's a terrible decision. Oh, it's awful, yeah. You didn't have to pay him the 10%. You didn't have to even give him 5 All you had to do was give him, like, 30000 which then the caddy went ahead and was like, well, am I going to get anything else? And he had to go ahead. He couldn't contact Coach, so he contacted his agent. And his agent was like, here's another 10 to make it 15000 for the week. Right. Now shut up and go away. And the best part is, the only reason this dude's looking for the money 
is not only because Coach can afford the damn thing, right. and he got stiff, and mm-hmm. he got really just got stiff. Yeah, absolutely stiff. He wants the money so that way he doesn't have to caddy anymore, and he and his family in Mexico can open up a laundromat so that way they can provide more income for their kids. Well, I mean, you know, it's and the like, thing what is, the hell, Cooch? And the thing is that it's it's such easy PR, like good PR for, for Cooch, and he and he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna give you five thousand. But you know, the thing is, is that th- this comes to the point of what's right and what's wrong more. Obviously, grand. there's a yeah, five grand. I mean, five you know, grand. I mean, you know, the thing is, he's got so much money that we're talking about. Maybe, maybe fifty million. Certainly, uh, just just out of that one million, he could have easily given him, like you said, thirty thousand dollars at maximum. Um, would have been would have been fine, and everyone would have walked away happy and would have felt good about himself. If he helped open up a laundromat in Mexico. If, with thirty thousand dollars there, people might be going, "Hey, it's kind of low ball, low but whatever." It's not a big story. With fifty thousand, everyone's like, "Yeah, this seems about right." He's not unusual poor caddy, so you know he doesn't get the ten percent. Now, if you gave him the ten percent and gave him the one hundred thirty thousand, which it's no small amount of money, but it's no, not really not. that big of a dent. Someone that has a Skechers deal. And get so many endorsements and whatnot. It's not that big of a dent. It would have been three million. It would have been like the biggest PR success for you. Nobody in the world is gonna be like, oh yeah, screw that guy for giving him the percentage he didn't have to give him. <laughs> you go ahead and you have such a beautiful PR hit. And the thing is, if it's someone like Patrick Reed or Ian Poulter, their reputation is the villain. They are not looked upon greatly in the world of golf. Matt Kuchar's personality in the world of golf is the ah shucks type guy. The kind of, I don't want to say dopey because he's not really dopey, but the kind of lackadaisical kind of guy that just so happens to be like the average dude just playing golf. Right. And when you go ahead and you act, well, just downright cheap, by only giving the dude five grand and then having your, your agent go and go, here's another ten grand to just go away. You know you did something wrong. And the ship's slurry left the port. It's gone now. You're gonna have to deal with this bad PR. And the reason why it's getting dug up now for something to happen in November is because the the WGC, which I believe is World Golf Championship, they're going to Mexico City this week where the tournament was. Uh, so, Cooch, hopefully you find a way to make it right. Yeah, make but it right. Even if you don't, though, it's not really going to make a difference because people are going to remember this now. You yeah, kind of lost that all shucks yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. With that said, I don't think we have anything else left for seventh inning. I think we could head to... Uh, Turning for home now. Turning for home. All right, turning for home. We got Atlantic City FC. Atlantic City. Oh, America's playground that now is well decrepit and old, and nobody goes there. <laughs> because it's revitalizing. All right, come on. Yeah. So <clears throat> background on uh, the stadium situation there. Surf Stadium, Sandcastle, Albany Avenue Stadium. Different name, same building. The same. I like the Sandcastle name. It adds character. It we does. talked about character last week. It has a lot of character. It's yeah. got charm. Unique character. Absolutely. In any case, it was built in 1998. 1998. Anywho, I fell into disrepair after the surf left about 10 years afterwards. So 2008, it went away and kind of went down. It needed some basic repairs, and it got that in 2012, which was basically meaning they got the water running again, they fixed some broken windows and things like that, you know, basic cosmetic repairs. Right. However, the lights still didn't work, and the scoreboard didn't work. Now, this didn't work, not because of the disrepair from four years earlier, that didn't work from Hurricane Sandy. So when right. the hurricane came and it hit, it just really messed up a lot of stuff on the Jersey Shore, and Atlantic City was no exception. Oh, I remember that. There's, like, sharks and stuff swimming in the middle of, like, Atlantic Avenue. Yeah, there was. That was cool. In any case, 
scary as well. So, all in all, those repairs to fix the lighting and the scoreboard cost $1 million. And that's where we sat until 2018, in which May of that year, Frank Bolton, who you may remember from his original hit, the original owner of the Atlantic City Surf, and one of the founding partners of your Atlantic League Professional Baseball League. Yeah, there you go. He is authorized by the Atlantic City Council to find a permanent baseball tenant for Surf Stadium, because we want that thing fixed and we want revenue from it. Right. However, there's a caveat. You only have 90 days to do it, so he has three months, basically to the end of August, to find himself a tenant. We can reach August of 2018. There's no tenant found. No found. There's unlikely to be baseball in 2019, Bolton says. However, he does not rule out the possibility of baseball in Atlantic City in 2020. Ooh, that'd be good. And that's where we sat for a while. Right. Until Atlantic City Football Club comes in. Hey, Atlantic City FC. So, Atlantic City FC. They are a Tier 4 soccer program play in the MPSL, so National Premier Soccer League. And they want to take over the Surf Stadium. Where they play currently is 20 minutes away in nearby Stockton University Stadium in Galloway. Mm-hmm. And so, they've played games at Surf before, and I assume better attendance, just, you know. Probably, yeah. yeah. However, they're not able to make full use of the stadium, because of the way it's currently set up. It's set up baseball first, obviously. Of course, yeah. And Oxford concerts and stuff like that in mind. Right. Not with soccer in mind. And so the sight lines block out large swaths, so you can only use about 3,000 of the 5,500 seats. Right, and obviously they're going to want to use all of those seats if they, you know, play there more frequently. Exactly. So the earliest date that can move in to become the primary tenant is August 3rd of this year, 2019. That would be for only one game would be the championship game. So they want to do that for 2020. They want to be the primary tenant that year. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, why would you go ahead and put a soccer team in a baseball stadium? Because they are offering to renovate the stadium, fix the lighting, and then rearrange it so that it would be more friendly to soccer. Those renovations will cost, roughly speaking, $4 million. Yeah, $4 million to, you know, reconfigure it, fix the lighting, do all that. Now, that seems like a lot of money, because it is. However, the club has said we will, at the very least, raise some private funding for it. So it won't be on the entirety of Atlantic City and the county of Atlantic. Right. So, yeah, I mean, at least it's going to be a little bit more of, I think this is a good thing. I think if Atlantic City FC does go in, they go through with it, I think it will be a good thing for the area. And I think it helps Atlantic City's chances of getting a baseball team, actually, because while that stadium is laying in disrepair, it's hard. You can't, a team can't just come plug in and go play some baseball, you know? Yeah, exactly that. And as some of you listening are probably wondering, where would they get this private money from? Well, one of their main major sponsors, their primary sponsor, in fact, is the Tropicana in Atlantic City, Ooh. which is a casino, and it has the backing there. And as their club manager has said, Atlantic Stasis, it seems that the casino really likes having a two-hour event with no overtime, and that is what casinos like. It is such an easy giveaway thing, like, go see this. And it's hard to go ahead and give away soccer coupons to go see these games, if I'm telling you, yeah, you're going to need to get on the bus, go 20 right, minutes away yeah. to this university, or drive there yourself, possibly get lost somewhere in the campus, when you have it just across town, where you just got to go, yeah, you can just get on this bus, or go to this address, it's right in Atlantic City, don't have to leave the city, right. you'll be good to go. 
This is also, Atlantic also has a build-up in the community. They've started doing free events and free lessons for youth soccer players and things like that. So they've really become a major player in the community in just a year. They've only been there since 2018. The team has announced 27. There's an important caveat to those renovations. The park would still be suitable for baseball and for concerts and lacrosse because New Jersey loves lacrosse. Right, of course. Lisa Ryan, who is the State Department of Community Affairs, she says that nothing is definite and that ACFC is still in the preliminary stage. So they still have to submit a proposal, go through all the channels, you know, do all the formal things. However, ACFC yeah. is very optimistic about the plan. Yeah, I mean, I think that that would be definitely a good thing to get them in there, get somebody in there, utilize the building, and then when a baseball team finally comes, like we said in a couple of years, there's a possibility, as I say in my article, there is a possibility that the Rockland Boulders do leave the Can-Am League, and that would leave the Can-Am League looking for a team. Um, and so if, if they are looking for a team and there's a, a spot open, perhaps uh, Atlantic City with a working stadium is the place that they will choose. You know, yeah? Counterpoint to that, though, if you go in after the soccer team, you're probably getting secondary and tertiary dates because soccer's going to get the pick. Now, of course, that's only going to be eight dates, 16 dates or so a year. I call it 16. That was mentioned in the article. But even still, those are probably going to be weekends, which are the dates you're going to want. You can't host soccer and baseball probably on the same day, maybe not even on the same weekend, just because of field conditions. Yeah, I mean, you can schedule around these things. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where you got you have to look at it from a baseball team's perspective of, if they're going to make the renovations, we'll let them do it, and then we'll wait to go in. You know? yeah. And I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but like I said, you also have to think of the field conditions from the soccer and all of that. Right, it's going to beat yeah. up that field. There's not going to be much time for the field to actually recover because when their season ends and when baseball season ends, it's going to start to get cold and that's going to make maintaining the field fairly difficult. And you also have to assume if you start getting constant stuff in a newly renovated surf arena, you're going to get a lot of performances outside in the summer and whatnot. So that's why I'm thinking you're going to be getting bumped down a bit. You're going to start getting the bad dates. And if you're going to have bad dates, it's not really a permanent fix there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a, there's a world in which all all parties can succeed in, in, in Atlantic City and also um, a lot of different, uh, you know, Atlantic City FC and, and a baseball team and, and the concerts can mm-hmm. succeed all in one area there. I think the, the issue becomes management and leadership. Can there be a baseball team that has enough leadership to come in and say, I understand you're giving me these dates, but this is what we need to be successful here. I think it's incumbent upon the city to make sure that this does happen because baseball is more popular than soccer, especially in southern New Jersey. Yep, I'm, and that certainly is true. Just like I said, I, you're going to be more beholden to the guys that well, we dumped four million there. Screw these other guys. That's going to be the response to that. Like I understand you're going to need weekend dates and those kinds of dates. But ACFC is going to get the final say. Sure, they will. But, I mean, I, I think I think it's better for I think ACFC sees. The, uh, we'll, we'll see the opportunity of a baseball team as a good thing rather than a bad thing. Yeah, but no, and I, I agree with a lot of that. Well, like I said, I'm playing the devil's advocate here. Right. It's just a matter of, is that going to be a permanent solution? And the more you go ahead and give soccer a better arena, you're running the risk of either them getting their own arena, which then is going to cost the city more money, and they're going to probably pick soccer over it because soccer is a more growing sport. And you also run the risk of, now you have two entities competing against each other at the same time. And that's something you got to be concerned about. If I only have X amount of dollars, am I going to see the baseball team or the soccer team? The soccer team's doing more in the community. It's going to have a head start. You know? I, think it, I think for the most part it would be uh, different fan bases. But also in the summer down there, there's a lot of different 
uh, tourism. So you're, you're not going to necessarily get the same people every night. You're going to get different people who are down there on vacation. So, I mean, and, and also, I think I don't think you have to go, oh, I'm only going to see the soccer game or I'm only going to see the baseball game. I think people would one night go see uh, uh, the Well, I'm just saying if finances come down to that. Right. I mean, if finances came down to it, perhaps. Um, but a lot of times on vacation, uh, yeah, families like, are more willing to spend. Yeah, Ben, also, I'm just kind of leery on relying on, and this goes to more of an Atlantic City issue in general, relying on tourism dollars to support a team. Right. That yeah. that can become very fickle really quickly. Yeah, it's, it can become difficult. It's, it's a dangerous proposition there. So I'm concerned about that, although I'm interested to see how the situation develops. Yeah, it'll be, an interest, it'll be an interesting situation to see how it plays out, both uh, in... You know, within in terms of the Atlantic City FC, and also if there's a possibility of a baseball team getting in there in Atlantic City as well. Yep, no, that's definitely something to watch for. I know Atlantic City's definitely been a spot where baseball can succeed before, and maybe not if uh, maybe not Can Am team goes there, but even maybe like an Empire Baseball League. That's right. Yeah. That's another one, or even a summer collegiate team. I think could be a good option there. That could be a good option as well. Yeah. Yep, that's, that's definitely something to watch out for. So, yep, I think we've said just about everything we can on this piece. Unless you have any other final things to say? Uh, no, just definitely, uh, uh, definitely uh, it, it'll be interesting to see um, where Atlantic City goes from here, and also what the what the uh, community does. You know, I'm interested to see if the community of Atlantic City chooses soccer, baseball. Obviously, I want them to choose baseball because I love baseball. But it'll be interesting to see how uh, that that formulates over the next uh, couple of months and years. Yep. And then the only last bit I have to ask, I want to know where the entirety of four million is coming from to renovate that. I'm sure soccer right, will yeah. chip in a decent benefit, especially with casino backing. But I don't think they're going to give four million and then go ahead and share. I think it'd be four million and it's mine. Yeah, I think I think that could be problematic as well. But again, you know, it's a wait and see approach. Exactly. So we'll wait and see, and we'll update as we go along with that. And with that, I think that just about wraps up the show today. Just to get some quick plugs in here, second article's up on Can-Am and Atlantic League stability with another one rapidly on the way for next week's show. Yep. YouTube version of last week's show is up there. There will be one for this week's show, too, and then we're going to reevaluate from there, as well as other YouTube content to come. We are also on a new website now. It is www.indieball.com, or indieballreport.com. Indieballreport.com. That's very important. Indieballreport. Make sure you have the three W's and the dot in front of it. Otherwise, it will not work. Follow us on Instagram now. We've got a new account for that. You can follow us on Twitter, that we've always had. That's the best way to know when new episodes are coming up, when they're being recorded, when they're being edited, when they're being uploaded. All the information right there for you, nice and easy-like. And outside of that, I think that just about does it. Be sure to subscribe to your RSS feed and everything else. Yes, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Wildcase Tiger, for sponsoring this show. Uh, and we hope you all have a great week. See you next week. Yep, and don't forget to play ball.